welcome back to the Life, Liberty, and Pursuit of Happiness Project. Um, I'm really excited to have another interview to bring to you. Um, I have a couple of, of friends with me today, uh, going back many years to uh, when I was a teenager. Uh, we were all teenagers, I should say. Uh, Mike and Lindsay Jenkins. Uh, go ahead and say hi, Mike and Lindsay. Hi. Hello. I'm, I'm Lindsay. That would make me Mike. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Um, so, um, like I said, Mike and Lindsay and I have known each other for years. Um, they um, each have their own jobs, and um, we'll talk a little bit. Uh, Lindsay, I think mostly Lindsay, but I know Mike helps with it at least. I'm not sure. Kind he of does the podcast with me. Yep. Yeah. So. Um, wasn't sure exactly the division of labor there, but uh, Lindsay has her own project, her own side hustle going um, with the elusive follow through. And so uh, we'll definitely spend some time talking about that. Um, but Mike and Lindsay, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves um, and you can, if you don't mind, share with us um, where people can find the elusive follow through online or anywhere else that people uh, can connect with you. Yeah. So my name's Mike. I help with the podcast, and she could probably tell you the rest. <laughs> <laughs> my podcast would not be nearly as cool without him. But uh, my name's Lindsay Jenkins, and I started the Elusive Follow Through back in November of 2018. Um, it, it started out as a just kind of a a side thing. My hope was that I could turn it into something giant and make all the money with it and Mike could quit work and that would be our one source of income but that has never happened because um, I really struggled with trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Initially the elusive follow-through so the name came to me because I was always starting projects and then never finishing them. And like I would start some new cool thing and do it for like a few weeks and then we wouldn't follow through on it. And it was, um, you know, chore charts around the house or getting our kids to actually help do things, you know, or uh, some new diet plan that we wanted to try or some new uh, training <laughs> routine or something. And I would always just start these and then never finish. And I, I thought for sure there must be other people out there like like me. Uh, and yeah, 90% of America. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> and I thought maybe I could use this to figure out how to finally follow through on stuff. And then I can help other people do the same thing. And I mean, I, I put a lot into it and it's still going pretty well. I mean, we... We have this blog website and I have courses in the works and Mike and I do a podcast, like I said, and you can look it up at um, the elusive follow through dot com. It's T-H-E-E-L-U-S-I-V-E-F-O-L-L-O-W-T-H-R-O-U-G-H. The only one I know that can spell that just like that. <laughs> because I've typed it a zillion times. But anyway. I'd be like, the <laughs> I know it's not nice and short like Garrett's with the llph.org. <laughs> so much easier to remember. But but yeah, I mean you can look, look it up on Google and it'll bring it up too. That works. 
but you can find me on Facebook at the same name. Um, we're on all the podcasts like Spotify and, and Google Play and Apple um, as the elusive follow through. And then we're on Facebook and Instagram. But on Instagram, I'm at Minimal Mama Lindsay. So that's kind of a nutshell. But I do feel like in order to know the full story, we have to we have to start when I was a teenager, honestly. Why do we have to start because there? Because that's kind of what, when I was 16, I was diagnosed with depression. And I think that that is what contributes big time to my lack of following through on things. You think so? And I do. That's, that's interesting. I've never like heard anyone connect those two or that I can think of off the top of my head at least. Yeah. Um, I know for Lindsay, she she gets excited about something. She wants to try it. She she jumps into it with both feet, and I think her her depression plays into it. Like if she has a setback, it's more detrimental yeah. to her and her condition versus other people maybe. Depression tends to, in my experience, depression sure, tends sure. to make you um, go big or go home. That's kind of my personality. And when something doesn't work out the way that I planned or, you know, some little snag comes, then I'm like, oh, forget it. You know, why did I even try? This will never work. It'll never work. I'm just going to quit. And because it's so much easier to quit, you know. And, and you know, when I was a teenager, um, <clears throat> your self-worth gets kind of... You know, when you're in high school, it's hard enough, man. But when you also have emotional instability, mental health problems, it makes it even worse. Sure. And uh, so that's kind of what started me on the path of doing big things and then not falling through. I, I've done that so much myself. I can't even tell you. Do you think maybe, I mean, I don't know, uh, are you, do you have any, I'm not getting personal here, but would you be able to relate? Can you relate? I can relate, yes. Okay. Um, I, I would say I've um, I've experienced bouts of depression through my life, and um, I know it's definitely harder to even get started uh, when I'm feeling depressed, uh, yeah. the, you know, with coronavirus, I know a lot of people have been struggling with their mental health uh, the last year and a half or so. Yeah. Um, I know for some reason, August last year was really hard for me. Like for about half the month of August, I pretty much just vegged. Like I was able to get out of bed, but once I was out of bed, I didn't really do a whole lot. It was pretty much binging Netflix all day, every day for a couple of weeks there. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I, I can relate. And, you know, a lot of people that I know, um, most of the people that I'm, I'm close to have um, some sort of mental health issue, whether that be depression or anxiety or both or ADHD or, you know, it's right. it's, it's so much more common than people think. Um, for it me. is. And, uh, and yet fact, people are... Go ahead. <laughs> well, people don't talk about it. And it drives me crazy. Well, oh, I, people don't talk about it because just like with your apprehension earlier, you know, um, can you, do you have, yeah. is there, uh, <laughs> can you relate? 
you know, it's it's because you don't want to hurt his you feelings. Hurt you don't want to cry. Yeah, you don't want to. You, cry yeah, anything. you don't want to open the the box. You know. Yeah. So I get it. But I interrupted you. It's all good. Um, so um, I'm I'm glancing at my phone right now, which I don't usually do during an interview or while we're recording or anything. But this is totally relevant um, because okay. May is actually um, Mental Health Month, and so um, just this morning on my social media for the Life Liberty and Pursuit of Happiness Project, um, I shared a thing about Mental Health Month um, and a couple of the hashtags that are being are, are popular with sharing um on that subject right now are break the stigma and break the silence and you know really that's such a huge thing for me um having known so many people who experience depression and other mental health issues um is that stigma that there is and i i really want to do away with that i want people to understand that there's a there doesn't need to be a stigma. There's nothing to be embarrassed or ashamed about. Um, and it should be something that we talk about. And that's just as common as discussions about physical health because mental health concerns are just as important as and as common as physical illness. I agree. Maybe even more so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, and asking you to relate, and, and that's one thing that Mike and I have kind of, we've touched on it a little bit on our podcast and some of the episodes, And um, but Mike does not have depression. He has like moments, like, like you were saying, where he feels depressed. Yeah, they're probably situational, though. Yeah. Like, and it's, life's got me beat down versus right. I don't care. Right. <laughs> like, for me, someone can look at my life and be like... <clears throat> Oh my gosh, you know, you have this charmed life, you have these great kids, you have an awesome job, you, you have so much going for you, why the heck are you sad? And it's like, I couldn't tell you, I honestly couldn't tell you. And that's kind of the frustrating for Mike, because he's like, how do I help you? You know, Mike's a fixer, and he's like, how do I fix this? And I'm like, you can't fix it. And he gets Let so, me get my tool bag. He gets so frustrated. <laughs> because yeah. he can't fix it. Yeah, I think that's one thing that is um, difficult for those of us who are fixers is coming to terms with the fact that there are things that you can't fix. And sometimes right. the best you can do is to be supportive and um, show your care and your concern and your love for people and be patient with them um and, and just be understanding because sometimes that's all you can do you can't fix it but you can support someone through it right exactly anyway so that's kind of the the origin story of the list of follow through okay so i suppose if i had to give you my one liner it would be that i'm trying to teach moms with depression how I'm trying to give them tools um, and knowledge to help them to enjoy their motherhood and to not, you know, to not let that depression control their lives. I guess that would kind of be my one-liner. And I'm here for comic relief. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, good. I, I can see some evolution there because 
Um, I think in the past, I don't think I've I've heard you get that specific, Lindsay, as far as um, depression and and that kind of thing. You know, I've always um, heard you talk about supporting moms and that sort of thing with the elusive follow through. Um, but I think you're you're kind of getting a little bit more specific now. I think that's good. You're right. It is. It's evolving quite a bit. Good. Um, so before we go too much further, um, I, I appreciate the uh, the background of of where you came from with um, struggling with depression and things like that, and how that uh, fit into creating the elusive follow through. Um, let's go back to kind of that same time frame, okay. uh, 16, 17. Um, mm -hmm. I think it would be really good for people, really fun, um, entertaining, but also um, good for people to get to know you and Mike and, and hear your story, uh, the two of you uh, meeting and going from there. Okay. You want to start? I... She saw me for the first time. I was, uh, she says, I was in a parking lot doing Brody's and beer cans fell out of my car. Um, <laughs> Even though they weren't beer cans. When I was 16. <laughs> you were 17. 17. <laughs> so, and then all of her friends were like, stay away from him. <laughs> so apparently that's the first time she was introduced to me. I tell the story so much better. Then do it. <laughs> That's okay. my that's my method. I suck at telling <laughs> stories so that she can just tell. Okay, so when Mike was sixteen, um, he decided to blow up his house oh, that. in Portland. <laughs> and if you want to hear this story, this is all over. It's on our podcast and in my blog. Um, but his house in Portland blew up essentially and burned to the ground in four minutes flat this big giant four-story house burnt to the ground. And his dad at the time had been working in Salem. So anyone who's familiar with the Portland and Salem area, they know that um, Portland is about 45 minutes north of Salem. And so his dad was commuting That's down. On a really good day. <laughs> on a really good day. Really back in, good day. Back in 1997. Yeah, back in the when late 1900s. Traffic, when traffic wasn't nearly as bad. Yeah. But anyway, we had to contend with horse and buggy. Yeah. <laughs> so his dad would drive down to um, Portland or to Salem every day from Portland to work. And um, so the house after the house burned down, they were like, well, we have nowhere to stay here in Portland. And so I think we need to move to Salem. And at the time, Mike was 17. Um, his little brother, Chris, was 15. And um, they both just kind of I think Mike felt Mike could have you could have stayed right you could have yeah, with friends and stuff with friends yeah. or whatever but I felt the responsibility to he did help my mom because he feels he felt responsible for the house it wasn't his fault at all but he felt responsible for the house and so he moved down with them and they moved into this little house out in the middle of nowhere just off of the Dallas the Salem Dallas Highway and they happen to move into our ward so any of your listeners who are familiar with um, the church we grew up in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and we have wards which are basically local congregations and Mike and his family moved into our ward in West Salem and so the first night I met him 
It was in January of 1997. <laughs> I didn't even know it was cold outside. <laughs> I was 17. And my little brother Adam and I pulled into the parking lot of our church every Tuesday or Wednesday night. We had an activity, youth activity. Um, at the time, it was called Mutual. And um, I was the president of the older girls class, the 17 and 18 year olds. And we saw them out there doing the Brodies in the parking lot. And Adam was like, did you see that? Like some pop cans are, sorry, but he, it was probably pop cans, but like, he was like, I just swear I heard beer cans fall out of their I car. I think there was cans who, at all. Who are those guys? You know, and then we were just like, whatever. <laughs> so we went inside <laughs> and, and I did something or other. And then I went into the gym and Mike and Chris were in the gym playing basketball. And all the other boys, I don't know, Garrett, if you were on the stage, I don't know, but all the other boys- I were was there somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you were. But they were all just kind of sitting on the stage watching these two new guys. And I remember Mike, he looked like he was like 20 or something. And I remember thinking, what the heck is this guy doing here? He's way too old to be at this activity. And then um, I saw his little brother, Chris, who looked to be more my age. And so I was like, oh, okay, he's more my age. Um, I think he's kind of cute, but the other guy, I mean, he's kind of cute, but- What's that old guy doing here? <laughs> he was way too old. So I'm like, um, you guys need to come to, we're gonna start, you know, and, and they just kind of, you know, kind of ignored me, but everyone just kind of, you know, got off the stage and like, okay. And they came in and we started doing opening exercises. And I remember very distinctly. <laughs> so I was leading the opening exercises because I was the president of our class. And my dad was speaking in a fireside. We call it a fireside, but it's like a gathering of youth um once every like quarter or something and my dad was the speaker for this particular one and it was coming up and i said um guys don't forget the fireside is this coming sunday and um or whenever it was and and i go hopefully all of you will be there and mike who was <laughs> standing in the back of the room probably trying to look cool i was cool <laughs> And he goes, well, I'll be there if you're there. <laughs> Make me sound like a doofus. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, because hmm, I didn't usually, I mean, I didn't usually get much attention. Garrett, you were one of my very best friends, you and Martin and Steve. And these were my three, you know, guy friends. And they paid attention to me because they were kind and wonderful. But none of the other, you know, boys in the ward, they were kind of, I don't know. They weren't the nicest. Moving on. And Mike, like, totally, he paid attention to me, and it was weird. Like, I never really... Well, just... look at her! <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and so, I was like, whoa, you know, this guy's kind of cute, and but he's still way too old to be here. <laughs> Get away from <laughs> so... me, creepy old man. <laughs> anyway, so we just kind of hung out and talked, and we, you know, became friends, and... And then one night, or one day after school, my friend Jenny Van Leeuwen convinced me to call him and ask him out <laughs> on a date. And so I did, thinking that nothing would come to it, come of it. And I called and I was like, hey, um, this is Lindsay from church. And I'll let you tell what you were <laughs> thinking. 
at the time. She makes fun of me all the time. But at that moment on the phone, I wasn't quite sure who it was. So I'm like, yeah, I'll go. He didn't Let's know. Go. He Let's didn't go. know it was me. He didn't know who I was. So I'm like. Some chick was calling me. She wanted to hang out. Okay. So I'm like, come over. You know, we'll, we'll go to the Gov Cup. And that was this place that we love to go in downtown Salem and, and have some hot chocolate. So he came to pick me up. And he says that when he came to the door and it was me that answered, he was glad because he had, he says he had been hoping it was me, but I don't know. Anyways, so we went to the Gov Cup and hung out for a few hours and talked. And after that, he lost my number. He lost my number for like three or four days. <laughs> and I thought for sure that he was never going to call. This was a time before cell phones. Yeah. And I was actually on the phone with you, Garrett. I was on the phone with you and we were just chatting and then I hear the doorbell ring and Mike's at the door and he's like, I lost your number, but I did want to get together. And I was like, okay, Garrett, I'll talk to you later. <laughs> <laughs> on the phone. And then Mike and I just started hanging out from then on. So that's the origin story. Really long story for not a lot that happened. <laughs> to make long story. Oh uh, no, I remember those days. I remember that first night that Mike and Chris showed up, and mm -hmm. I remember I didn't know Mike, and so I didn't have a read on him. But Lindsay, I knew from almost the moment you laid eyes on him, I <laughs> knew you were smitten. <laughs> I think, you know, and it's funny, I can remember at the time, all, you know, a lot of my friends, Garrett, you were one of the few who actually took time to get to know Mike and Chris. And you and Chris actually became pretty good friends. Chris lived with him for a yeah, while. Yeah, Chris lived with Garrett for a little while. <clears throat> but a lot of the other people in the ward told me to stay away from Mike. He's, you know, a bad kid, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like um, I was given the ability to see past um, the rust and mold, the, the rough <laughs> exterior, and to see who he had the potential to become. And I was grateful that I had been given that um, that gift because I'm glad I didn't listen to my parents. My my dad was actually pretty supportive, but my mom did not she wanted me to stay away from him and but i'm glad that so we ended up actually getting married about two years later we got married in january of 99 so we've been together now for a little over 22 years um 24 years together 22 years married and uh we've got four great kids and i would love to say that it's been wonderful and perfect but it definitely is not. <laughs> you know, you have your ups and downs. I suppose downs that's my fault. <laughs> you have your ups and downs and, you know, but it's been good. For sure, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I, um, you know, you were talking about how um, you believe in, in people being having the opportunity to, to change and giving people a chance and things like that. Um, I, I absolutely feel that same way. And um, sometimes people do change and sometimes they don't, but um, I think it's only fair to try to give them that opportunity. Um, that's one thing I've strived for in my life is to see 
um, to try to see the best in people and to treat them um, accordingly, according to their potential and um, you know their uh, who they who they can be, um, as opposed to who they may seem to be. Right. And not everyone's going to change. I think that's something that we need to accept in general. You know, we want to be able to look at people and think, oh, he's going to change. And, and I think, um, you know, it's, you can't, it's not always going to end up like this, you know, this story. Um, like I said, Mike and I have been through a lot. He says that most of it was him, but I mean, it was equally me. And that had a lot to do with my depression, like I said. Um, during those first few years of our marriage, I mean, you wouldn't know it really to look at us now because we actually do have a pretty good relationship now. I mean, there are moments where, you know, we're both like, ah. But in the, <laughs> in the beginning, I mean, I can remember times where I would throw, you know, pots or pans or even I think I may have thrown a butter knife. Nothing ever really sharp, you know. But like when we have our fights, I would be throwing things at him and trying to punch him and and feeling just helpless. And um, that that time was right after Audrey was born, my first <clears throat> baby, and I had really bad postpartum depression in addition to my regular depression. And um, we went through a lot of struggles at that time. We were seeing a marriage counselor and. And uh, and we both we both weren't the happiest, we could say, <laughs> I want to put it nicely, but but you work through it, you know. And and um, after our second baby was born, Dallin, who's now going to be turning eighteen here in a few days. Yep, it's crazy. But um, when he was born, we moved to Utah, and. Um, that was probably one of the best things that we could have done for our marriage because my parents lived right up the street when we were in Salem and as much as I love my mom if you're listening mommy I love you very very much <laughs> but she tends to kind of get a little over involved sometimes and especially when it comes to grandkids and so you know um, and my sister also, my older sister was living with us at the time and there was just a lot of struggles because of that and we needed to be able to rely on each other and so we moved to Utah and we knew my sister but she was busy, you know, doing her own thing and, and so Mike and I had to rely on each other. We didn't know anybody else and we had to kind of build our life from scratch in a way, you know. So I think thinking back and viewing now is the situation we were in with Lindsay's family because her sister was renting like an, an addition to our house. And that was before Dallin was born. Yeah. And, you know, your family up the street and, you know, close friends and stuff. It, it put Lindsay in an awkward like corner between me mm -hmm. and them. And it was unfair to her and it was incredibly imbalanced. So moving to another state sort of took that imbalance away to where the only people we had to fight with were ourselves. And it didn't take long to run out of stuff to fight. 
with, you know, or about, I mean, we came up with new things yeah. every once in a while, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't a constant battle for her or for me because I didn't feel like she was getting worked on from the other side. She didn't feel like she was in between, you know, it, it was a good thing to have that separation. Yeah. And I think what Mike's saying is like, you know, my mom would make requests of me or my sister or somebody that Mike didn't agree with. And so then I would feel torn because I wanted to please my mom, but I also knew that I needed to, you know, cleave unto my husband or whatever and, and make him happy. And so it was really hard to feel like, you know, you have to choose between one or the other. Mm -hmm. So it's unfair. It's it unfair. Is. But that was, gosh, 17 years ago, I think, that we moved to Utah. Mm -hmm. So we've been kind of all over. Anyway. That's interesting. I I, um, I didn't, I wasn't around for part of that. Um, but yeah, you were on your mission, I think. Yeah, I was spending most of that time in Kentucky. Um, mm -hmm. Good times. Um, but I, I think it's really interesting that what, in large part, helped your marriage was kind of the two of you starting over together um yes. away from others away from familiarity mm -hmm. you know because we had both been there for by that time it was five years that we had been together in salem married and uh seven years together and it just we needed to be able to build our own life that wasn't reminiscent of my childhood or his, you know, teenhood or, you know, where people didn't have the preconceived notions of what kind of a person he was or what kind of a person I was or should be or whatever. And where we could just kind of figure out. The only people we had that we could rely on were each other. Yeah. It built quite a team. Mm 